Welcome to Flash Art Weekly. LA United were unfortunately sent home after going 0-3 in the MLS's bag tournament. We discuss the five biggest things that happened that led to us crashing out. We also speak to one of the reporters that covered the Eric Lopez transfer to get a closer look at what we're getting in the young Paraguayan. All that and more coming up. Welcome to the show, Five Shark Fam. I'm AJ and this is Mark. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. This segment is sponsored by Thinking Man Tavern, a cozy Decatur neighborhood pub. Grab a tasty beverage from a wide variety of selections and a plate of something delicious from the menu. To go, check out Thinking Man Tavern. Follow our Twitch for new streams and surprises on Tuesdays and Thursdays starting at 9 p.m. on twitch.tv slash ATLUTD Fan TV. Atlanta United have been shut out in 400 consecutive minutes in all competitions. So let's get into the top five reasons why Atlanta United went out of the MLS's back tournament. The first one, number five, is discipline issues. And Jake Mulraney with two yellows. And you have J.J. Williams with a straight red. And also Franco Escobar doing his best to almost get sent off in the last match against the Columbus Crew. Pretty much leads to the reasons why. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mark, what, what are your thoughts on the, the discipline issues that we had throughout uh, the three games? And, uh, you know, definitely big factor in match two against FC Cincy. Right, yeah. Um, the Mourini one, I think, is separate. Like, he, that's just a fish out of water. We talked about this, right? Like, that's uh, kind of the uh, risk you take when you put an attacking player in a kind of defensive position. I mean, I know wingbacks are supposed to get forward, but they also need to track back. And I think, uh, particularly the second yellow, I think that was a little bit of Cincinnati just targeting him. And so, you know, they go over the top. He, uh, he does something silly. He does something I think a more experienced defender would not have done and gets himself sent off. The J.J. Williams red is, I think, egregious, you know, because he's not a, he just joined the team. I mean, it's been a few months, but he, uh, in terms of games, I think that was his debut for the team. And, you know, he's a striker coming on. We need a goal. And instead, he gets himself sent off and unavailable, makes himself unavailable for the next match and probably two more matches if uh, there's a season. So, um, and I don't know what was going through Franco's head, man. I mean, it, it was infuriating to watch, like, because he did it multiple times. That ref, I think, was honestly a bit lenient. I don't know if I would have had as much patience with him, with uh, with Franco on that day. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, it's been uh, something that I think, um, you know, teams have been targeting, like you, you said uh, earlier, and definitely it is, uh, you know, going in when... <laughs> Frank DeBoer is saying pretty much that 3-4-3 uh, looks like our best formation. And then uh, you have guys that are playing positions that they really haven't played in their entire career. Well, yeah, it's obviously going to be issues uh, when that occurs. And, you know, that's it's almost like a, a no-brainer that, yeah, of course the other team would target guys that haven't traditionally played that position. So, you know, uh, not surprising. But uh, number four... Uh, is defensive breakdowns and uh, yeah you know the let's break down that uh, you know in the Columbus crew 1-0 loss the uh, breakdown of the Luis uh, Luis Diaz chance it's uh, you know 
It's very similar to the Florian below chance that, uh, or the the goal rather that, uh, you know, happened in the New York Red Bull match, where essentially, you know, our center backs get uh, pulled apart, uh, you know, and pretty much dragged over to uh, the right side of our field, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, wing back is just it's too far uh, of a distance between you know the left center back and that left wing back that, you know, there's acres to run onto. And, uh, yeah. you know, Luis Diaz here is uh, pretty much given almost an identical type of, um, you know, look as Florian Below, but not as clinical. Uh, I think, you know, maybe the fact that they've, you know, encountered that one time already, uh, you know, Braguzan knew what to do maybe in that, that case of not committing to one side or another and mm-hmm. kind of forcing him wide. But, uh, you know, it definitely is. Uh, just kind of a, a microcosm of some of the defensive breakdowns that we uh, we had throughout the three matches. Yeah, and we go back to talking about targeting certain players. I think uh, our left side in general was targeted, right? Because the Luis Diaz chance, you know, that's theoretically where Mesa should be, or maybe uh, Bella was caught up field uh, versus Red Bulls. Again, like it was kind of down the middle, but like Miles is pulled to the right. Um, not i think mesa was either too far over or not far over enough um and then yeah bello again like i don't know if bello's out of position but it's one of those things where he's uh it's just a few there are a few players i think are caught out um and yeah i think know, midfield as well i think uh, yeah. you know you know adams uh you know definitely i think here is uh maybe just not uh, in the right place, positioning-wise, to be able to, you know, I think, cover up the spaces. Because yeah, it was him on it, both of those. He was he started for both of those, both of the situations we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right, and so yeah, it is one of those things where you know, if Frank de Boer wants our players to play total football, then there is something to the effect of, uh, you know, the players needing to know where the spaces are, uh, you know, void, and then where to fill in so that they can, uh, you know, if a player goes up, they cover for that space. Uh, you're not as vulnerable if there is uh, a ball played there. And I think that's the the issue here is, um, you know, time and time again throughout this, uh, this tournament, uh, whether we were punished for it or not, because, yeah, most of them were not. It was 1-0 uh, for every single match. But it is, uh, you know, a more clinical team for each of these. They probably would have put them away. And because, um, yeah, arguably some of them a little lucky um, where, you know, Braguzan, it's maybe directly at him or it's, you know, side net that's outside mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, the actual goal. And so it's just, uh, you know, time and time again, we uh, we just didn't have uh, quite the cohesion that you want. But, uh, yep, number three, uh, I think uh, no surprise to anybody is the lack of goal scoring. Uh, yeah, anytime your record goal scorer in Jose Martinez goes down, yeah, you're in a world of trouble. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, there is, uh, I think, something to be said for the, the guys that had to come in and put in a tough spot as well. But uh, Adam John, he played 97 minutes and he only had one shot in the entire tournament. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's that's that one that uh, the New York Rebels goalkeeper David Jensen saved. Uh, really late in the match, yeah, and uh, yeah, PT had eight shots, and I mean, you know, really not many on target, and so uh, you know, Ezekiel Barco also 
uh, you know, a few shots in there, but you know, largely. Uh, also, you have you know Manuel Castro, who uh, yeah, two big right. important I think uh, chances that were missed that uh, would have changed you know and made a difference in the New York Red Bulls mm -hmm. match. He did eventually get one on target uh, later on in the FC Cincy match, but you know it's just a a lack of uh, you know really clear cut you know goal scoring chances in the three matches, um, and then you know kind of uh, on top of that is yeah you have guys that just aren't uh, you know really in position to uh, to want to you know be able to put the ball in the back of the net. I mean they're mm -hmm. uh, either taking shots from too too far out, uh, not in the box, or, you know, our actual lone out-and-out -out striker that has experience plays 97 minutes in the entire tournament, whether he's the guy who's, uh, you know, the um, the guy who's able to put the ball in the back of their net or not, I mean, he is the striker. Like, you you almost have to at least see what he can do, but he's he was taken off early exactly. in every single one of those matches. Um, well, and he came, came on, on late, I think. Know. Yeah, exactly, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's and just, yeah, it's, think, it's uh, difficult. It, it is, it is. And I think, uh, I, ha I take issue, I said this before, I take issue with how he was used in general. I think he was a little bit jerked around, um, you know, in terms of like getting the start, but getting subbed off at halftime. You know, he was the first, he he had to make way when um, uh, Moraney got sent Moraney, off. Yeah. Um, and so I, but I will say this too. I mean, we've seen, I think, especially recently, teams have success when uh, even when goals don't necessarily come from the striker, thinking about uh, Firmino with Liverpool or Giroud with France, um, and to a degree Chelsea, but he's been scoring lately for them. But um, I just I, I think the it's the lack of chances really I think that bothers me you know so much uh, because Adam John might be unselfish, but then it's like we we just didn't have I think. Uh, a cohesive plan, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I think you saw that, especially with how De Boer used his attacking players. Right, exactly. I mean, uh, I don't think we were uh, getting, you know, chances close enough into into the six-yard box to, uh, you know, really get the, the dangerous chances that we really craved. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, if John was used differently, which we'll talk about in a second, um, you know, maybe it, it would have been a, a different story. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't the case but uh i think yeah part of that uh you know the exacerbated problem is number two is the poor roster management and uh that goes in from the off season uh you know and definitely into uh you know a little bit into this season as well in terms of uh, a little bit of that recruitment because yeah obviously uh some players were brought on during the uh during the season as well but uh yeah you know you have the likes of tito vishalba brandon vasquez uh justin miram who were all let go this season that's uh this off season that had played striker uh in the past before uh maybe some not for la united but at least have had experience there obviously you can't prognosticate jose martinez going down but you can prepare for uh you know needing to uh, have more than one out and out striker on the roster that mm -hmm. uh, you know and Adam John is that guy but it's just completely you know a different you know option so mm -hmm. you have two guys that are completely different well you know obviously you're gonna be a little short if one of them goes down and so that's you know the difficulty here um, you also have uh, you know now a lack of leadership in guys that uh, either retired in Parky, uh, LGP that moved to Cholos and now Inter Miami, of course. 
Or you, uh, you're missing key contributors like Darlington Nagby and Julian Gressel. Uh, Gressel, of course, was our uh, leading assist man. And Nagby, I mean, he was the guy that really ran our midfield and really ran our game. Uh, to be, you know, to be frank, and so, uh, you know, in turn, we brought in a lot of potential, uh, lots of yes. inexperience, but you know, definitely potential in Mateus Osetu, Manuel Castro, Jake Mulraney. Uh But that inexperience definitely, I think, uh, you know, plays a big part into uh, kind of why we're uh, out of the tournament. And you know, Jake Mulraney, inexperienced wing back, and you know, even uh, e even an FC Cincy who we you know, all going in, think they're, uh, you know, just going to roll over for us. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, they've gone on and, uh, you know, beat New York Red Bull and uh, went second into Group E. I mean, that's, you know, there's lots of surprises in this uh, this tournament. Definitely, for, you know, in Group E at the very least even. But, right. uh, you know, you have, uh, you know, you still need time to gel in some of these pieces as well. Fernando Mesa and George Bello or Jake Mulraney. Uh, on that left side, if we're playing a three-man backline with wingbacks, it's going to be difficult if they don't have really any game time together, and uh, especially in a George Bellow with his inexperience. So, you know, um, yeah, roster management, was that something, I think, for you that uh, that was uh, an issue going in? And So uh, I, I think in terms of... Yeah, I think... Um... I think in terms of the players that came in that were brought in, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and like you take you take each transfer by case by case basis. Like I think Hosetu definitely has potential. Um, that definitely seemed to be one of our bigger transfers. Manuel Castro, okay, he was on loan initially for six months and then they ended up having to extend him just because they hadn't seen him play. But like it was always gonna be a case of we wanted, you know, a, a kind of a trial period, so to speak. Um I think uh, Mulraney, you know, left wing back depth. You could argue he's like the Breck Shea replacement or the Justin Miram uh, replacement. Maybe he's not that good. But then at the same time, uh, you know, you do have George Bello there, who um, I'm glad he at least played. You know, I think, yeah, his inexperience may have shown at times. But I think that's the kind of thing you have to live with if you want to develop young players. Um, Mesa seemed like a solid move i thought early on in the season he was pretty good i didn't think he had a great tournament however i thought brooks lennon was probably one of our better players in the tournament i think he was a little bit unlucky um considering some of the service he provided but uh i mean you want to talk about roster turnover i referenced columbus in a tweet but uh, we can talk about cincinnati i mean like just talk about turnover in general right like they had a tumultuous offseason um, and then they had to, you know, bring in a new coach kind of late in the game. And but they showed that uh, they, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they showed that they had a game plan and uh, they executed it well versus Atlanta and Red Bulls. So. Right. And I think that's definitely a maybe simplification of the game plan, uh, you know, for FC Cincy, for sure. And, you know, to a degree in New York Red Bull, uh, that's, you know, they know what their uh you know their tactic and their style is so you know it's easier to implement than kind of the the total football system that uh Frank DeBoer likely wants to uh to implement here and um it has been difficult uh each time uh kind of uh after a, a you know either a, an off season or a long layoff in uh you know going into the MLS's back tournament but uh, I mean, mm -hmm. so that leads us to number one, the tactical inflexibility 
Uh, and that's definitely, yeah, Frank DeBoer uh, kind of saying that, yeah, he thinks the 3-4-3 matches best to the roster. But, uh, I mean, I vehemently disagree that, uh, you know, that, uh, that shape is getting the best out of not only the personnel, but uh, the way we're, we're playing. And uh, so, you know, I think at the very basis, we lack someone in the middle to control uh, possession and control the game. Uh, and that's in uh, in part due to Darnton Nagby leaving, but also uh, no one really playing that part. Uh, you know, people shying away from the ball, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you have Mo Adams that may maybe just, you know, it's too tall of an, an order to ask him to do this he's just not that type of player um you know larry uh came in you know showed some better uh awareness to always uh, try to get on the ball but still i mean he's 36 years old so it's mm -hmm. obviously uh was going to be really tough to ask him to start every match and play every single uh minute and then you know uh hosetu not really played in the position there even though he may have the ability it's just one of those um, yeah, when you only pick two midfielders, someone's going to be uh, kind of uh, shorthand there um, in terms of who's not picked. And, uh, you know, Emerson Hyman uh, was said to be someone that's Frank DeBoer, it, you know, someone that he wants to be uh, maybe playing that Nagby role a little bit. But it's just we're too oftentimes outnumbered in the midfield. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would have, like I've said in previous podcasts, that maybe uh a simplification of it in a 442 uh where you know the uh the wingers tuck in maybe the fullbacks go up and then you have uh you know that that uh kind of numerical advantage in midfield uh or even a 4231 where yeah if john is the lone striker there is that flexibility there where uh yeah if you can knock down those balls kind of like a jeru uh maybe to a much lesser degree, obviously, but, uh, you know, someone, if he can at least hold it up and let, you know, Barco, let PT run onto it, uh, you know, get past him a little bit, um, that way there's at least some dynamic in the attack. But uh, for you, um, you know, was there tactical inflexibility? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about the midfield a lot during the uh, the streams, during the games. Like, we were just, I think you said it best, we were just outnumbered, you know, and... Uh, the two-man midfield, it can work when you have a midfielder like Nagby, who kind of does everything midfield-wise in terms of backing back, taking care of the ball, you know, beating the press, can beat two or three guys at times, um, getting the ball forward, like all of that. So I think, and then also like versus Columbus, for example, um, Rometty comes in and there were other changes too, but we definitely looked better. And Rometty is somebody who will at least you know, try to make himself available, try to get on the ball and, uh, you know, maybe do the simple passes, but it's still, still some midfield play. I think we were just, in general, we just did not have a presence in the midfield at all. You know, it was all, it was all uh, on the out, on the wings, on the outside, you know, there was no, uh, I think, internal penetration. And I think it made us easy to play against. I mean, like Red Bulls, you know, I, I think they're out now, but I mean, they lost their two other games and they didn't score another goal. The only goal they scored was the sucker punch versus Atlanta, essentially. And then they more or less like wrote out the result. And that's basically what the other teams did. You know, and I think like 
with this look like we're just not a threat and i think that's where the issues really begin going back to the lack of goal scoring i think uh one of the big issues that lane united is, is suffering from now is that teams don't really fear their attack and so they were just easy to play against right that possession play that we do have uh really leads to nothing because there is no purpose with it and so you know the uh the ease in which they know exactly what we're doing or uh they can just kind of you know push us into the spaces that they want us to play in uh really makes us just a lot less dangerous than uh, you know we have in previous years obviously and uh you know whether that's uh not only the players not only the front office but also frank de boer and his coaches i mean it's uh it there's a lot of blame to go around for uh, a very very mm -hmm. poor showing zero goals in the tournament and uh yeah that's uh that's just those are our five big things that happened that led us to going out of the mls's back tournament of course there are more but you let us know what your thoughts are on that in the comments below but uh so let's get into the uh the match review itself of the columbus crew match and uh we'll kind of very quickly go through this because it's uh, obviously it's almost punishment almost to uh, to relive it in a sense. But um, yeah, I mean, it essentially, uh, you know, for Columbus Crew, uh, they were controlling the match very, very early. Um, you know, and a 19 pass sequence allows them to slice us open to where, uh, yeah, a deflected ball uh, hits the back of our net and they're up 1 0. And uh, we pretty much essentially. Uh, can't muster up very many chances in the first half at all, but in the second half, after you, uh, you know, make some changes at halftime, uh, you know, you see some more kind of energy, you see some more just uh, throwing men forward, taking risks, uh, and that's, I think, uh, you know, what made us at least you know, look somewhat decent in the second half. John Gallagher played left center back and, uh, you know, just brought a, a, a real fight that we hadn't seen in the tournament. And um, it's just something that, uh, yeah, from the Five Stripes, it's, uh, you know, the Columbus crew just kind of uh, rolled us over, even though we kind of had some uh, some better statistics at the end of the day. But those statistics really mean nothing, uh, you know, in possession. If we have more, if we don't do anything with it, uh, if we have more shots, if we don't really get shots uh, inside the box in dangerous areas. So, I mean, uh, yeah, in terms of largely on a whole uh, for you, the Columbus Crew match, you have like one or two quick thoughts? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, there's, yeah, sure, there's improvement in the second half, but I think, um, you know, like, okay, maybe the manager deserves some credit for that. But I think what we saw consistently is that we just uh, started off on the wrong foot. You know, like, since um, I didn't score in the first half, but of course we were down a man. Um it just felt like the manager kept, like, it just always felt like an experiment. And it always felt like the first half of these games was like, okay, that didn't work. Let's now make some changes. But then there wasn't really flexibility in terms of the actual starting lineup. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Columbus deserves all three points. Um, you know, I don't remember too many other chances that they created, but at the same time, there really was no urgency for them to win. You know, they would have gotten through with the draw, so or won the group rather with the draw. So, um, but they were able to hold on. They get the job done, I think. Um, and also, like, they didn't even start Zalarian, who's arguably been their best player in the tournament. So I thought, 
yeah, Columbus looked impressive, and we just, you know, we didn't muster much. Right. And it's even this, though, still, uh, you know, maybe a little unlucky in the sense that, um, you know, their goalkeeper uh, has six saves. I mean, though, you know, none of the shots were really, I think, uh, one would say incredibly dangerous chances. But, uh, yeah, and then, you know, you have uh, just uh, even more so, you have that uh, kind of Wolverine X-Men type of, uh, you know, looking at the, the photo of Donington Nagby thing where you're missing <laughs> Nagby just incredibly so much because you see what he was able to do for them. I mean, he had, I believe, 100% pass completion um, where he was just able to, you know, just play around us. And uh, that's exactly what we're missing in our midfield. But, uh, I think, yeah, so... Um... Mm -hmm. No, I think uh, in the three matches, I saw a stat where he basically misplaced three or four passes the, for the whole group stage. It was like 98% completion. I mean, just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and so uh, also, I mean, you know, looking at uh, kind of the positional reports from who scored, I mean, uh, basically, yeah, you see, you know, um, Mo Adams... Uh, kind of uh, in the middle there, and also he's pretty much trying to man mark uh, to Nagby right. to really no avail here, obviously. But uh, you know, you also see on a 23 um, map here showing how the left center uh, central midfielder and the right central midfielder are pretty much pulled apart completely, and there's just no one really taking the onus to uh, really kind of uh, you know dictate the play, collect the ball from the center backs. And, uh, and really link the lines and mm -hmm. you just don't see it at all and uh, that's really you know that that nagby sized hole that uh, we have in our, our midfield uh, but again if we can bring you know just another midfielder in tuck in the uh, tuck in the wing mirrors and you know push up maybe one of the the fullbacks it allows us to have that numerical advantage uh, and have a little bit of dynamic in our attack that I think we sorely needed uh, in this tournament. Just, you know, varying tactics would have been incredible. But, um, you know, that is part of kind of the, the bigger picture of, you know, last season, uh, LGP and others in the locker room. Uh, you heard about the, you know, just them, uh, you know, really taking over that mindset of, okay, we need change. We can't continue to, to play um, you know, early on in the season, like we were, uh, you know, we want to play in a more swashbuckling way. Uh, and you saw the, the kind of runner results in about that six, six week time. Uh, yeah. When we won the U S open cup and won the Campionas cup and, um, you know, you saw a lot of risk taking, you saw, uh, you know, more dangerous play from us. But then, uh, you know, early on this season, it kind of reverts back to that 3-4-3 that we saw early on last season. Uh, a little bit more methodical, uh, you know, a little bit more risk-averse. And, uh, you know, you have gripes from fans that, uh, you know, are kind of mirroring parallel situations uh, to last year where, you know, they want Frank DeBoer out. So, you know, for you, where, uh, where do you stand so far in... You know, all this uh, kind of, you know, what's going on within the team. Uh, sh you know, do the, the Frank DeBoer out 
uh, people have validity? Uh, do the Frank DeBoer uh, in crowd have validity? Like, where do you stand? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I just got distracted. Um, I'm not completely off the uh, Frank DeBoer train, but I'm looking for my exit, I think. I, yeah, it's, it's just that he's ha he's been in the job for a year and a half now. And what I really compare him to, I think, for me, is like other coaches who've been in with their teams in a similar timeline and where they are. Like I look at uh, Caleb Porter with uh, Columbus, or uh, I mentioned uh, Stom, who's been in the in the job sh uh, for a shorter time. Um, and it just <clears throat> he's constantly, you know, changing and he's constantly tinkering. But at the same time, like uh, he. It seems like he can be a little stubborn in terms of the tactics. I mean, like, I just don't understand why we uh, continued with some of the things that we did, like the 3-4-3, three, three, you know? Um, so I think, I think DeBoer has a lot to do. And I think that if he is in place at the beginning of 2021, his seat should at least be warm. If there is any season left and the, the team continues playing terribly, I do think he should be let go. Because this team is too talented to look as poor as they do. You know, like, people talk about, like, Atlanta always struggles without Joseph, but that really wasn't the case in 2017, you know? And uh, even 2018, I remember Tata and Joseph going after the goal record, and people, you know, journalists tried to ask Tata if uh, the team depends on Joseph or over, overly depends on Joseph. And his response was, well, it's still a team game. You know what I mean? Like, most players touch the ball, you know, they move the ball around, and essentially it is it does become feeded to Joseph, but there were always opportunities for other players to score. I mean, we saw that in the 2018 playoffs, right? It wasn't just Joseph that scored. So, um, yeah, I need to see... I, 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 think, I think the manager's got to do better with the team that he has. Uh, I think some of the newer players, uh, like I'm thinking like Josetu, uh, I guess we'll see if uh, how much John plays with uh, Lopez coming in. But uh, if uh, if DeBoer is able to use Lopez, I mean, good for him. But then again, like this is another kind of a big transfer, right? And so if he flops or if he starts off not looking so great, then I think that puts even more pressure on the manager because then it's like, I've said this before, like PD, Barco, inconsistent at best under DeBoer and other players really don't look as good as they have before and then you have like a player like Rometty who's just being kind of frozen out even though he was an important player for us before so it's just like yes players individual players have to take responsibility but I think a lot of these things point back to the manager yeah I mean and uh you know there is uh you know arguments of like okay so uh, you know, in our great spell last season, uh, yes, you know, we were essentially one match away from the MLS Cup final. Uh, you know, so, you know, with the two trophies, with almost getting to the MLS Cup final, there is that leeway that, uh, you know, he should be given. But uh, I think for me, it's also, you look at it uh, kind of not in a microcosm and not only in a, I guess, microscope in a tunnel, uh, whatever it is. Um, basically, you know, you have to look at it on, you know, the whole with all things considered. Uh, yes, the front office has not 
um, you know, recruited maybe properly, uh, you know, like for like talent has not been there uh, in terms of the replacements. In terms of uh, that play, uh, it obviously, you know, looked very, very, uh, you know, attacking and dangerous during that kind of six-week period. But beyond that, it looked uh, a little lackluster in a lot of degrees where, you know, you you wanted something else. You wanted them to, to try different things. And so, you know, if Frank de Boer, for me, if he doesn't change things very quickly, uh, yeah, his uh, seat does get very, very hot um very very quickly but uh it still is we're in the middle of a pandemic you have uh you know it's only three three matches in mls's back tournament that's uh you know um yeah we didn't score but it also is you know you had a lot of crazy things happening in that that tournament it doesn't excuse uh our very poor performance but uh you know it really does i think uh you know needs to be looked at has everything and so you know he's had a lot of uh you know hurdles to kind of go through joseph being down lots of things in his way to be able to um you know to get the team playing at their best but uh i think what's telling is if we do have a regular season that's really i think you know he's coaching for his job in the rest of uh you know this season so if There's, he can uh, uh two, two things sorry go ahead yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But uh, there are two things I think specifically that uh, with the board that I, you know, I do take issue with. Um, one thing it, he he came in with the reputation of being a defensive-minded kind of coach. You know, I uh, I wanted to see how if and how he would improve the defense. In my opinion, he is not. Like I think he's made us more vulnerable. Uh, in the back and like it's I think it's a combination of the play being slow I think um, at times our positioning might be uh, aggressive but then it ends up that these players are just out of position for the counterattack. and you know it's, a, it's like what I said before just teams just know how to play us and so uh, yeah I don't think I think the defense has actually been quite disappointing um, under the board, I mean, like we got hosed a couple times last year. You know, the Chicago match, the NYCFC match, uh, the LAFC match. You could say, even though we came back in that one. Um, the other thing too, and so I, I did. I recorded with uh, for the culture last night, and uh, Gregor brought up a good point. LA United had a bit more training than other uh, clubs because of the rules here, and so you know, it's. I think it is really worrying if uh, if we had the advantage in terms of being able to spend more time on training pitch and still looking completely out of sorts. And so I, I, I think I agree with you. If there's a regular season in 2020, and if this doesn't turn around, and I mean, like, keep in mind, we just lost three matches. It's been 400 consecutive minutes without scoring. Like, he's got to turn that around almost completely. And if not, yeah, I think uh, LA United should be considering making a change because I'm going to say this again. I'm not convinced LA United got the manager that they really wanted. You know, I think it was uh, kind of a rushed process. I think they got a uh, sort of big name, but I there's a few things I think his tactics, his man management, perhaps that just don't fit with the team. Yeah, and that's also yeah uh, what they said that he was. Uh, kind of goes against what he is. Uh, they also said that you know uh, it's going to be 
Uh, evolution, not revolution. And right. <laughs> I mean, so far it looks like he's trying to, you know, implement his thing and not go with uh, kind of what's been working for us uh, in a very swashbuckling attack where, uh, you know, the uh, the risk taking that we do do uh, do have is just not there. We we are very very uh, you know really averse to wanting to uh, playing into d dangerous areas, throwing men forward. It's just something that uh, you know seems like that's uh, Frank de Boer not wanting the team to do. And uh, so yeah, I mean it absolutely is uh, you know a lot to consider, but uh, you know obviously. A lot of people have their opinions, so let us know in the comments below what you think. But uh, let's get into the post-match quotes for the Columbus Crew match uh, and wrap this baby up. But um, essentially, he talked about changing the tactics during the game and how to fix this going forward. Uh, he said it's difficult. Maybe when we have a guy like uh, Jeff Lerowitz on the pitch, yeah, he's a guy that can put guys in the right spot. Right now, we're not able to do that. Uh, I'm shouting from the side, but it's difficult. I think that's showing that lack of leadership that we're now missing because, yeah, Larry, not on the pitch, that definitely doesn't help our already lack of leadership, uh, you know, missing a Parky, missing an LGP, very vocal guys that, you know, putting guys uh, in the right places, in positions, in uh, in the spaces that uh, they should be in. And, you know, it's uh, it's an important part of this game. Uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking but, of shouting, uh, I think we're definitely missing Joseph in that regard, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that that passion, that will to win, is definitely missing from mm -hmm. the the pitch as well. Without Joseph Martinez, uh, he said right. on uh, his response to the fans questioning his status as a manager, he says, "Well, you know, everybody is disappointed. I'm the first one who is disappointed. I can only say, or I only can say, that I will always give my best, and I'm going to continue that until the end. Uh, I know that I can change the situation we have right now into a winning situation." We showed that last season when we started quite rusty. I'm convinced that with the players we have, we can really change this. If you can see the second half, that's what I want to see, and we will continue in that. Um, so, you know, I mean, he hasn't given up, which I think is uh, is a good sign, but it, it is right. still, um, you know, you have uh, very, I think, you know, harsh words here from Braguzan that yeah. uh, are very real, I think, uh, you know, but also... Uh, kind of mirror what an LGP said in yesteryear. Uh, he said, "On uh, what does the work consist of in the future?" Uh, Braguzan said, "You talk about identity in these three games, and can even go back to the Club America game. That's not who we are as a club. That's not uh, what we are about as a team. That's got to be changed. There's got to be some sort of change on the field. There's got to be communication, conversations, but there has to be a response to that." It can't just be talk, 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 and then we get on the field and do the same thing we've been doing. This didn't just happen in one game. This has happened for four games. It's not good enough. Not good enough as individuals or as a group. There needs to be change. There needs to be conversations that take place. There has to be a different product shown on the field. So, I mean, yeah, I think uh, it's it's very, I think, uh, you know, eerily reminiscent of, uh, you know, what LGP said, what Joseph Martinez said last year. Um, you know, and so hopefully this is the catalyst for us to, uh, you know, change it to uh, a positive again and, uh, you know, get a good run of results when and if the regular season does happen. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, lastly, uh, Brooks Lennon, he also was asked about, uh, you know, that seat being hot for Frank DeBoer. 
He said, uh, I agree with Brad. Uh, what he said essentially is what he's saying here. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We can't blame other people. We have to hold ourselves accountable as players for what we put out on the pitch. And obviously in these three games, it wasn't good enough. We have to go back to the drawing board and these decisions are decisions for us players. So we just need to keep moving forward. I mean, yeah, I think uh, everyone's culpable here. I mean, you know, a lot of performances were lacking. Mm. Um, I think you can count on maybe one hand uh, the players uh, so far that have done well in the tournament slash uh, have improved under Frank de Boer. I mean, so like, as you said, you know, it uh, is a little bit difficult to see uh, who has really largely um, improved under the coach, but you know, yeah. still, he has that four-year contract. He is one and a half years in. Let's see what he can do. Uh, you know, that the rest of the season, he's uh, he's got he's got his work cut out for him. But yeah. uh, so anyway, that does it for the match review, and it gets us to the news this week. And um, yeah. Fractaborg was asked about what is in store for this team after this tournament. He said, well, first, the guys will have a couple of days off. That's normal since we've been in the bubble for a long time. Then we will start ramping up again and uh, to be ready with what's going to happen. We don't know the plan of MLS right now, but we can still practice a lot of what we want, playing different systems and what we expect from them. Uh, we have enough time. I think we need the time to really train what we want to see and get confidence for when it starts up again. So, I mean, uh, that's exactly what you know they need to be doing. So, yeah, um, yeah you saw that. Yeah, the uh, the players are already back as well. They've been sharing on their IG stories. So it's uh, you know hopefully this is a, a reflection period and also a kind of a refresher as well for them. But, um, yeah. Again, like if there's if they're gonna have extended tr uh, time on the training pitch, I want it. I expect to see uh, an improvement. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so uh, moving on, uh, this is the big news that dropped today. Uh, you know, full transparency. We're filming this on a Thursday, but per a club email, essentially, uh, LA United will be initially allowing ten thousand to twenty thousand limited seat capacity inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium when the 2020 and if the 2020 season resumes. Uh, the match day experience will be impacted with the safety in mind. Uh, CDC social distancing guidelines uh, upon entry and in the seating bowl and uh, I'm sure throughout as well uh, you know social distancing for uh, likely the march coming into the stadium and everything uh, kind of regarding the whole match day experience so uh, yeah I mean it's obviously you know we're still in the middle of a pandemic uh, yeah Mark will you be going uh, no. <laughs> so it's a little bit easier for me because I don't have season tickets. Um, but I always like last year in particular, I bought uh, tickets on a week to week basis. Um, no, I mean, like, I just, I, you know, obviously we have to see how they're going to enforce social distancing. That'll be curious. But um, it just doesn't seem all that responsible. I also, you know, I also question the wisdom of running the bends. You know, operating the bends and with like a fraction of the capacity that you normally would like does that even make economic sense uh you got the workers you got to think about box office janitorial concessions security you know all of that and probably what, gonna, what they're gonna have to end up doing is you know cutting that staff uh so that you know they don't they're not spending that much on payroll 
But then, uh, you know, you gotta wonder how much responsibility each of those individuals will now have. Um, you know, will they still be able to co collect unemployment? I mean, these are all the questions that I have. Um, no, I can't say I'm not, I can't say that I'm surprised just because uh, weeks ago, you know, the report came out that there were gonna be at least a few NFL teams that would try to have um, uh, lesser capacity. And so I, I kind of figured that uh, the Falcons would be one of them. And you know, when you, at the end of the day, the Falcons and LA United are owned by the same people. They play in the same stadium. So yeah, I'm not surprised, um, but I really can't say that I'm a fan. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously uh, I'm excited that there could be games, uh, you know, in the, uh, the regular season for MLS and for LA United. Uh, it really remains to be seen what kind of protocols they will be following and uh, all of that. I am a season ticket holder, so it it you know it does kind of tie me to making the decision hard and fast if I'm going or not. Uh, so far, I mean, yeah, my girlfriend is kind of immunocompromised, so it makes that a little bit difficult uh, to be able to uh, to get out there. And so you know, right now I'm kind of um mostly no but it is one of those kind of i'm not a too too hard on a fomo person but it is yeah you you kind of if it's you know kind of uh protocol wise being done well then and it's what we like to see then i might be swayed a little bit more in the direction of uh maybe me myself being able to go but it's just uh it's gonna be difficult i think uh to prognosticate what type of situation it's really going to be because the pandemic is still happening it's hasn't really uh lessened by most uh reasonable metrics and so it's one of those things where uh you know georgia uh has some of the most cases the united states has the most cases in the world it's uh yeah i mean not uh not anything to be taken lightly so right um yeah so anyway uh moving on from that an update on Joseph Martinez. He's uh, said in an IG story that he's almost there. It's just a, a thigh shot and uh, a little bit of his butt where uh, basically uh, he's able to... Uh, yeah, a lot of people were noting the butt part, but... Uh, <laughs> right, right. The, uh, the legs being able to extend fully like that uh, is something that I think you, know, you like to see there. And uh, yeah, he's working towards... Uh, the goal of getting back but obviously I've said uh, on the show multiple times that yeah I don't expect him in the 2020 season uh, you know if he does it's gravy but um, so a uh, quick little testing update for the tournament that we're no longer in uh, they've had I think five straight days of zero positive tests uh, for over 1,100 people being tested. So the bubble is working over there. So uh, that's fantastic. Obviously, LA United are not part of that anymore and so aren't maybe counted in that. Um, it'll probably be a little bit less. But, uh, you know, it's uh, good to see for the MLS' back tournament at the very least. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we talked about it earlier. FC Cincy, they beat New York Red Bulls 2-0 and... Uh, yeah, they uh, they placed second in the group, and I mean, who would have thunk? But congratulations right. to Brandon Vasquez and Greg Garza, uh, both of them, you know, part of FC Cincy, and so uh, at the very least, you know, that's uh, that's good for them for former Five Stripes, um, and of course Don Tanabe with Columbus Crew, but I mean, he yeah. was directly involved in uh, 
and putting us uh, into our hole. So I'm maybe not going to uh, congratulate him fully <laughs> too hard, but still yep. much respect to Nagby, of course. But uh, so let's move on to Atlanta United two. Uh, they earned their first point in the USL Championship uh, kind of uh, season slash playoff thing that they're doing. Uh, they had a 2-2 draw against Memphis 9-0-1. Coleman Gannon scored his first professional goal and had himself quite a hell of a game as well. Uh, as uh, striker Jackson Conway scored his second goal um, in, the, in his uh, second consecutive match. And so, uh, yeah, you know, the twos are back in action on Friday. They're playing our old friend in Charleston Battery at uh, their new temporary home in Patriots Point Soccer Complex in Charleston. So, yeah, good luck to them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, lots of uh, talent at LA United 2. And, of course, with a new talent that just got uh, transferred in on loan in Eric Lopez, who, uh, yeah, in a surprise move, uh, likely because of not only international slots, but maybe the U22 uh, designated player rule coming into play next year, uh, maybe not wanting to uh, you know, place him in one of those roster structures already in MLS. Uh, this is the, the move to kind of hide him uh, there and then get him into the first team in 2021. So, uh, very interesting, obviously, uh, the way they've done it. And uh, Frank Dupor has also talked about wanting to play Lopez in the first team. If there is some way that we can loan him from LA United 2, from his loan, from Olympia, it's, uh, yeah, MLS rules and USO rules are very complicated. So, uh, it'll remain to be seen if that can happen. I think it would be interesting, too, because Jackson Conway's been scoring, you know, so uh, yeah. do they both play? Will they compete for the job? You know, so but it's good yeah. to see that happening at the at the twos as well. It kind of goes to show you that, uh, yeah, there is some talent on that team. I hope they are able to, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the format is. You said it's a tournament style. Uh, yeah, tournament style. Yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully they're able to advance. So we're chatting with Roberto Rojas of BN Sports Social and Digital, and he's also a Paraguayan-American journalist uh, who covered Eric Lopez's transfer to Atlanta United, as well as other notable ones regarding the Five Stripes, such as Miguel Almiron last year. Thank you for joining us, Roberto. No, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, so... It's uh, really interesting how quickly the rumor came about for Eric Lopez uh, and the purported signing that uh, came about right after he was initially rumored. Did that surprise you how quickly that kind of came about? Well, you know, I think it's really interesting how in today's world, you know, you always get to see uh, all types of social media, even if it's from like Twitter, for example, you know, the likes of uh, Fabrizio Romano, who is kind of like, the wash of, of soccer tracker transfers and and so when this occurred it, you know you saw some some steam picked up from like outlets in Paraguay and you're thinking okay let's see how this comes about but then when you get more of the big guys you know you're Bruno Ponce the famous obviously Cardinal commentator and then Julio Rubin who is considered one of the greatest or maybe the most famous and reliable journalist in Paraguay you're thinking okay there has to be something to it to it so yeah, it was kind of fast. I mean, I think in the end, you know, we're thankful, thankful that it occurred. 
many people are very happy that we are seeing someone like Eric Lopez head to the United States. And, you know, you know, even even for me as well, it was just a surprise how so quickly he had gone from just being a professional, like less than a year's time, just being on the first team, played like 15 games uh, on the first team, or like four goals, and then boom, he gets shipped off quickly. I think that's, it was surprising for me because he never actually got to experience a full season. But at the same time, kind of is how the market of international soccer is working nowadays, where they're getting the youngest talents and comes to teams and players from South America. I mean, they're picking it, they're picking them out quickly, like 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 never before. And so it, it kind of doesn't it doesn't surprise me in a way as well. Yeah. Does that speak to the talent level of Eric Lopez or also maybe uh, how Olympia possibly needs the funds to be able to, you know, kind of self-sustain? I mean, is it uh, maybe a combination of both? I think so. I think when you look at, okay, yes, you can really make an argument that Olympia are the most successful, not the argument, sorry, Olympia are the most successful team in Paraguay. I mean, they're the most riches and obviously they have the funds necessary even though there are some bits and pieces where it doesn't all function properly but again it's still a south american club and like a majority of the south american clubs with certain exceptions they don't have the funds necessary to keep their star talents or at least their brightest gems i mean when you compare it to a brazil and argentina it was only bound to to occur that a player like Eric Lopez would get sold off to a team with much more financial strength, in this case being Atlanta United. So I, I think it really is a demonstration. And of course, after what occurred with uh, Ad Emmanuel Adebayor when he came to the nation and effectively was going to be someone that was going to help them win the Copa Libertadores or at least compete for it, when that got um, broken off because of the whole COVID-19 pandemic, you know, they had to find the fund somewhere. And, you know, I think getting a cool $3 million from Eric Lopez is is big. And, and also, you know, Olympia have been known for selling a lot of their talents recently to more bigger clubs. Another big example that I could add to was Richard Sanchez, you know, a midfielder who had played a few years at Olympia, you know, got his break uh, on the national team playing in the Copa America. He scored against Argentina in a game. And from there on, you know, after the tournament, he gets shipped off to to America and Mexico. So, yeah, it's just a case of another example of how these players who obviously have a lot of talent and can be sold for a decent amount of price is, is able to give the, the original club, in this case Olympia, the, the money necessary. Right. And uh, what's interesting, uh, yeah, it's, you know, around, I think the purported uh, transfer fee is around, what, 3.7? went as high as maybe five million right and uh it's interesting that yeah i mean he goes to atlanta united too but on loan first uh and then he will you know join the first team in 2021 so yeah atlanta united had to get creative to bring him in uh you know what are your thoughts on the move and how it affects you know lopez's mindset if at all well i think it's um it really will help him get more exposed to what is American soccer. I mean, I think for anyone to make that jump, um, especially in Lopez's case, you know, an 18-year-old kid who, like I said, didn't even have a full professional year of playing on the first team of Olympia, uh, 
for him to just get onto the team straightforward in Atlanta United perhaps was a bit much. And obviously, you know, this is obviously regarding roster issues and like how to fix that. But at the same time, I think for him going to a team like Atlanta, Atlanta United too, will help him be much more exposed and, and, and have him and have um, get him playing time. I think I think it was important for that to 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 occur. I didn't expect it to happen. If I'm all being completely honest, I honestly expected him to be on the first team straightforwardly and, and and go on from there. But I think it, in a way it kind of works because you know you have. Player that is obviously going to get consistent playing time playing in USL, um, and I think given and this is no disrespect to United to have to have to deal with, but I think for him, you know, it, it could demonstrate uh, a, cap- a capability of him to shine and, and to really perform well. I think what we were able to see in Paraguay for those few months that he did play, I think it could be demonstrated um, playing in USL. So. I, I think it kind of makes sense. You know, you, you play him in a few games, you you see how he does there, and then by the time next year comes about, he will be much more um, experienced. And I think it, it also takes away a bit of the pressure of him as well. I think he'll I think he'll fit fine in Atlanta. I think he, he is a player for the future. I think that's that's understandable because of his, his potential, and obviously because of his age. So it makes sense that you know spoken to him uh, on my podcast uh, Lola with football the other day you know he's, he's very excited to go and i think he's very expectant of what's going to happen regardless if he plays on the second team or the first team i think he's he wants to demonstrate his all and i think having that kind of commitment and desire to perform on whichever team be it the, the second team or the first team that he will prove it and, and play to the standards that he can demonstrate Right, and yeah, that was an awesome episode of uh, Low Limit Football, and uh, yeah, I mean, so, so you know, speaking to Eric Lopez, uh, you know, what type of um, what type of player and what type of person are Atlanta United getting after uh, you know speaking to him, uh, getting an impression of him, and you know, obviously seeing him from afar. Well, I'll start with what you're going to get on the pitch. I think you're going to get someone that obviously is has a lot of potential. Um, I think given how quickly he broke through into, into the first team Olympia and you know, going back into what he was able to do, you know, he was in the academy when he was a teenager, a young kid, and you know, he captained the team, you know, he scored obviously a bunch of goals and, and you know, I think you're getting someone that is very, very fast. I think he has good strength and balance and you know, he's not the tallest guy either. So that, that's a big advantage for someone that is Five eight five nine at like eighteen years old, but um, no, I, I think you're getting someone that is versatile on all fronts on the attack. You know, someone that can play as a winger, a second striker, or, or number nine, or even track back if needed to be. So yeah, he. I think you're really getting a player with a lot of a lot of good talents. Um, off the pitch, and obviously having spoken to him, I think you're really getting someone that is very disciplined, and, and you know, not even speaking to him personally, but also speaking to those that are. In, camp in his area he's very he's really someone that is very disciplined um humble you know always wants to get better um, in every way um you know and i think uh, my impression of him that he's a player that can really go a long way and i think he really wants to prove something i, I think the influence that someone like miguel marone has had on him you know to join atlanta united to go to mls 
I think is something that many young Paraguayans are looking at now. And this is not the case for just Paraguayans, but I think for young South Americans to go there and, and use that as a springboard to, you know, give it a couple years and able to shine, follow the same path as Miguel did and go to a European club, you know, go to a top five club, sorry, top five league and, and, and see what happens there. I think that's what Lopez wants. And I think that's his, his ambition. But yeah, as, as I've spoken to him, he's someone that obviously wants to get better. He said that you know, the best <laughs> is yet to come for him. And I think he he has that ambition to, to uh, obviously this is going way in front of of perhaps expectation, but he wants to win. I think he proves that he's a, he's a, he's a winner and he wants to be successful at United. So on the pitch, you're getting someone that is talented on all fronts in the attack, be it pace, uh, technicality, finishing, scoring. Um, and off the pitch, you're getting someone that is very disciplined, very mature for his age, um, and, and just has that drive of, of wanting to win. So when you have the mix of both, and of course, as someone who is also trying to get exposed to the culture of what is Atlanta United and what the United States has to offer and, and all of MLS, and obviously to learn the language as well, you know, you're getting someone that really wants to be there and is proving why he wants to, why he's an Atlanta United player. Yeah, no, it sounds like we definitely are getting some some type of player that uh, we definitely need, uh, definitely in this interim, but uh, Frank DeBoer wants to use him the whole legalities of MLS structure and uh, you know roster structure is something that will uh, determine if he does or not. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, let's you know get into what's going on into uh, your world, Roberto. Uh, you know what's uh, what do you have going on? Let us know uh, where to find you. All that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you again. But yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at Roberto Rojas ninety seven. I'm obviously, as I mentioned, the co-host of the Low in the Football podcast with Joe Ucello, where every week we talk about everything that's going on in the world of football, be it MLS, be it in Europe, South America, whatever it may be. Um, you know, obviously, you could listen to the, the interview that we had with Eric Lopez, which I think was the first one to, the first outlet, I think, in, in any country to have spoken to him ever since joining Atlanta United. So... It's, um, yeah, it's been going good so far. I mean, obviously I'm doing stuff at the end of sports as well, so keep an eye on what I'm doing there. And yeah, just follow me there on Twitter. I'm obviously talking about not just soccer, but obviously with other sports as well coming back. I mean, we got the we got MLB back, we got the NBA back, you know. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's kind of in a nutshell. So check, it, check me out there and obviously check out the podcast whenever you have the chance as well. Indeed, yes. Follow Roberto Rojas on Twitter. He is a definite must-follow there. But uh, Roberto, thank you so much for your time, and we'll chat with you later. Thank you so much to Roberto Rojas for his time. And, uh, yeah, lots of good insight on our new Ford in Eric Lopez. So uh, one last thing in the news is Jurgen Dom. He's been uh, on his TikTok game Again, and uh, yeah, you know, his uh, his centros or his crossing is, uh, you know, his the continuation of his uh, his story. He's come to Atlanta. Yes, he realizes the centros is missing. But uh, yeah, I mean, his uh, <laughs> his good friend, uh, you know, finds it and ships it to him, hand delivers it to him. And it's uh, it's an amazing uh, finale in this 
little bit of a saga on his crossing. So uh, lots of yeah. fun in uh, Jurgen Dom coming in. Obviously, yeah, a little bit of light in all this darkness, but uh, you know, it also is, yeah, Jurgen Dom. He's uh, on his TikTok game, but we will also be expecting, hopefully, that he is on his actual game as well uh, when he comes into the team. Uh, and it, you know, will be sometime in August, apparently, that uh, that might happen. But that pretty much does it for the news. And uh, onto a little bit of housekeeping, we have a Twitch channel, so come and uh, hang out with us. We're playing FIFA 20, Atlanta United in FIFA career mode in the Premier League. And he's, uh, yeah, Tanner is uh, pretty much uh, chopping and changing, bringing in some new guys, but uh, keeping that Atlanta United core. Uh, Joseph Martinez, part of that big core. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Join us at twitch.tv slash ATLUCDFanTV. And uh, yeah, so let's get on to the mailbag. And you guys send in these questions through IG story. Please continue to do so. We might answer your question in the future. First question comes from Homicide Poppy. He asks, are the struggles because of the system or because FDB doesn't have buy-in from players? Yeah, I know. I think uh, that's a, I think that's a easy narrative for people to go into. Like the players don't trust the coach. I think players do want to be coached. Um, it's just, they need to be convinced. You know what I mean? So like, I think, I think it starts with the system. But I think, you know, if there are continuous mishaps and failures with the system, then he will start to lose the players if he hasn't already. Right. I mean, yeah, it, essentially, um, you know, you want to see the results in uh, a better performance uh, after being, you know, coached into playing a certain way. And so if you're not seeing that on the pitch, then you maybe start to lose a little bit of trust. Your heads start to drop. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you saw that a little bit through the tournament. Yes in that uh, some of the players, you know, maybe didn't track back or maybe didn't, you know, follow a player after losing uh, the ball or losing their man uh, and just kind of mm -hmm. content and allowing things to kind of transpire. Uh, and that's, yeah, you, you guys, you, you kind of want guys to be accountable uh, on the pitch yeah. for every single action. So uh, next question comes from JohnLon07. When will Atlanta United leave the bubble? So, yeah, they've already left the bubble uh, pretty much immediately after uh, the tournament was over for them. And, uh, yeah, you can even see from, uh, you know, the IG stories of Anton Walks. They're already back uh, in town. They're taking runs. They're back to kind of, uh, you know, the Atlanta life. And, uh, you know, it's obviously still very quarantined and, uh, you know, difficult. Um Next question comes from Stinky Tofu 90. Stinky Tofu 90. Uh, probability of Viasanti Arzamendia rumors resurfacing anytime soon? Probability? Um, so, I don't know about, I don't know, maybe like 25, 30%. I will say, like, we, it does seem like we have a need for another midfielder, especially if the board's not going to trust Rometty. So Viasanti, I think, uh, makes sense in that regard. Arzamendia uh, is probably a little too expensive. Um, I think also, I mean, they seem like they, they have depth, you know, in terms of the quality at left back. Uh, maybe that's another conversation. But uh, I do think it's also time that we start trusting Dalu a little bit more. And at the very least, see what he has, you know. So 
uh, maybe not Arjemendia right away, but I think right. uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Vyasanti maybe might not be that profile of the guy that we're looking for. We're looking for you know someone that can control possession a little bit more, and so uh, yeah, Vyasanti strikes to me a little bit more of kind of a defensive midfielder that can uh, be a little more combative and uh, bring that energy. Hmm? Although. I mean, I think we could, yeah, I think you could argue that we have a need for that as well. Because when you think of like pure defensive midfields on the roster, I think of maybe sure. Jackson yeah. Runaways. Uh, I mean, and Eric Rometty plays so. that slightly in a role, but it's uh, definitely he's, um, yeah, wanting to get on the ball a little bit more and, uh, yeah, maybe isn't as positionally disciplined all the time mm -hmm. as uh, we'd maybe want him to be. Um, yeah, Arzamendia, I think for me, yeah, you know, echoing your points there, but also, I mean, he's been linked with the likes of uh you know teams in europe so it's it may be one of those things where you know does he want to uh, mm -hmm. come here if he's being linked to teams in europe who knows um last question comes from sahil patel 217 uh sahil asks how hot is the seat i think we talked about it a, a little earlier but uh to reiterate uh i think for me yeah i mean um it's hot. I think, uh, you know, essentially he's coaching for his uh, his future in 2021 in the rest of the 2020 season. So, uh, yeah, if we don't have a season, then obviously that becomes a lot more difficult to, to really say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he pretty much has to turn this around pretty quickly because, yeah, there are not you know it's not it's a lot different from i think last year in which uh you know it was very early on that there was struggle and then you had the better spell and then uh all mm -hmm. the way up until the end it was still very decent but i think now i think it's uh you know you see kind of patterns and you know it's one of those things where uh yeah maybe frank de boer uh is partially to blame but uh yeah you know you also have to look at the front office and what they're doing and you also have to ask more of the players i mean they're definitely i think mm -hmm. uh culpable as well in their effort but yes. uh mark yeah. oh yeah i mean i think it's warm you know maybe like uh georgia spring day but uh um yeah i think it's it's st the pressure starting to come on for the reasons you said i think the only reason it's not warmer is because of the mitigating factors of what's of everything that's happened this year um and so like especially to make a move right now would be drastic i think i probably i wouldn't support that but um you know well i, I we'll just have to see where we are in december it's really right. all i can say and, yeah and that's what i mean uh, is, job yeah, it's hot this season but a decision will not be made i believe until the end of the season barring a like you know uh yeah. a pretty much winless uh you know regular season i think yeah i don't think that will happen yeah, if it was you something like, like that, then, Crystal Palace uh, type of form, <laughs> there might be starting, you know, really heavy whispers slash uh, shouting probably. But uh, anyway, so that does it for the mailbag and pretty much the entire show, except for the question of the day. And the question of the day is, well, the uh, you know the news of the ten thousand to twenty thousand capacity has come out. Will you be going to the games at the Benz? Let us know in the comments below. And that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Mark, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.